0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Just Another History Podcast. I'm Evan Norville. And I'm Dylan Colucci. And we are your hosts. Uh, you can find Dylan on Instagram at Dylan Colucci. That's all one word. That's spelled Dylan, C-O-L-U-C-C-I. And you can find me on Instagram at Evan underscore Norville. That's Evan underscore N-O-R-V-E-L-L. And you can find me, Just Another History Podcast, on Instagram at... Just another history podcast with underscores between each word. So we want to thank all y'all for joining us uh, for today's episode. And today we're just going to be discussing the North American fur trade and its impact uh, broadly on Native Americans. So I, I think this is a wonderful topic and we've got a lot to cover. So let's jump right in. So, Dylan, it's good to have you back. I know you were here on the last episode, but the one before that, I didn't have you. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's good to be back. So, I'm glad to have you back for our episode here today. So, thanks. (laughs) So, Dylan, before we actually get into the meat of our topic, I'd like you to tell the people what you've been up to because I told them back on episode three that you would recap, tell us what you've been up to. So, yeah, that's
1: something we've been meaning to get to and haven't been able to yet. Yeah. Uh, Well, as we talked about in our first episode, you know, I've been working. Uh, with Mississippi State University out at this site in outside of Starkville. Sure. And uh, so we spent the whole, well, about half the month of May uh, out there working every day, doing survey, uh, trying to just kind of figure out where we want to focus our efforts, sure. basically. And uh, so the last week or so of that, which was two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, we moved on to this area of this site and started doing shovel tests so i think i talked about this last time maybe in that first episode uh we just take shovels dig down approximately 30 ish centimeters okay uh, and then sift through all the dirt and then get out any artifacts that are in it sure so we've just been doing that kind of on repeat mostly mm-hmm. uh for us americans in the audience how much is 30 centimeters <laughs> uh, i want to say it's about a foot about a foot okay i don't know the exact like conversion i don't know okay Got gotcha. But so everything we do is in metric, you know, like centimeters. You're right, you're right.
0: The dumb English. It so takes me getting used to it. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No.
1: Uh so yeah, so we've just been placing those shovel tests everywhere. And we've actually found some really cool stuff. We spent a few days in the lab cleaning stuff up and trying to identify some things and whatnot. Okay. Uh but my partner and I one day, we were we paired up in groups of two every day and worked like that the whole day sure. just to kind of make life a little easier. And uh we located Accidentally, some kind of like midden, which a, a, okay midden is basically just a pile of trash. I mean, it's just how do you like how do you spell that? Like m i d d e e n. So midden. So it sounds like mitten, but it's midden. with D's, yeah. right? And it's basically just a trash heap, just like a look like someone dug a pit, okay, and just dumped a bunch of garbage is this in a in native
0: it. word or is this something that we? No, came this up is just with.
1: something. I think it's just some like archaeology okay. jargon. Sure, it's just garbage. Gotcha. Thanks, it. For, thanks for that really old garbage that's, I got to eat. that's cool, really now. cool yeah. yeah and i don't know we found that one day we found uh we didn't count them exactly but sure. i mean roughly there's like 100 pieces of pottery wow uh, some really beautiful pieces uh we found all kinds of square nails and all these historics it was really cool i think we talked about this i told you about this a while back
0: mm-hmm.
1: the preservation at this site is so good like yeah. everything just preserves so well exactly uh that we've been finding these square cut nails and they're Mm -hmm. like not even rusted. You know, they look,
0: that's crazy to me.
1: Brand new. They look like they're just bought from the store. Exactly.
0: Because if you think about that, like here uh, where I'm located, I guess both of us are located in Northeast Mississippi where we live. You know, we've, we've spent our lives basically metal detecting a lot, you know, together. And usually when you find a nail, it's like eat up. Like you can't hardly tell what it is. You know, I found square nails before, but they're just like, so
1: eat up. They don't even look like a nail. Right. right, right? So, but you're finding, and I guess it's be like, I think it's just to do with the soul and everything. The soul up here is much more acidic. It is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're finding them. They look brand new, like just finding all this cool stuff. That's just like in perfect condition. Right. And it have been there. We're talking about late 17, early 1800. So it's right. been there for 200, time. 250 years. Yeah. Right. And it just looks perfect. And it's wow.
0: Really, really cool. And so the, the majority of what you, obviously you're finding native artifacts, but you know, square nails like that's, European, right? So you're finding a lot of European contact.
1: Yeah, stuff. Uh, like I said, the the time period we find an older stuff as well, but the time period right. we're really kind of focused on on is like late 17, early 1800s, right around that time, right? Uh, and we found a lot of evidence that there were people living there at that time because the site they believe was uh actually abandoned around 1650 or so, okay, for whatever reason. Okay, but uh, they had reason to believe that there were some Choctaw off families who came back about 150 years later, about 1800 and wow. resettled that moved back there to mm-hmm. kind of their ancestral homeland, homeland in, right. in, a, in a way. Uh, and that's kind of what we've been trying to prove this whole time. And that I they
0: think, left and came back.
1: Yeah. That, and, okay. And I think we've found enough, you know, artifacts and things to pretty much substantiate right. that they've all got to be cleaned and documented and, sure. and whatnot. But
0: So of, of all the things that have been found, What is your personal, like it didn't have to be something that you found, but what is something that has been found that's your personal favorite of this Uh, excavation?
1: I don't know. We found some really nice pieces of pottery. Uh, In fact.
0: Nice, like intricate, like detail. Yeah, yeah. Okay. uh,
1: Nice. uh, We found some big pieces that were very plain. But we found some that, like you said, were very decorated. Okay. Uh, We found, originally we thought we just had one, but we have ended up, are pretty confident we have three pieces of it now. Uh, of this type of pottery, and it's called Chickachay cone pottery. Okay. And the professor who's running the field school—that's something that he was super excited about. He's like, "We we need to find some of this and right. that would really tell us a lot because this type of pottery uh, is very diagnostic because only the Choctaw people made it, and they only made it around that time period, about 1800-ish. Wow. Okay. Late 17 or 1800s. That's the only time they made it, and only they made it, and it's very like distinct. You know, right. So that was a like a surefire way of saying, hey, there were Choctaw people living here. right? Uh, and we found, like I said, three three shards of that so far. And they're nice. Wow. They have these nice comb designs in them. They literally oh, take yeah. like a comb, like a bone comb or something. Right. And rake and it rake across, across it. and make like fine lines. It's was, it was very, very pretty pieces. Right. Uh, Interesting. Well, we found so much cool stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, cool. And so you guys are going to be out there until when?
1: uh july june 31st june 31st june 30th whatever the last day of june is okay uh we actually (laughs) start again next week doing excavation so cool that'll be interesting to open up
0: hopefully you'll find some more stuff you can
1: i'm I'm sure we will it's there's stuff everywhere
0: nice well that's very cool thanks for covering that for us so uh guys to get into the meat of the topic uh, i'd like to start with a question Uh, i posted a poll over on instagram um on i believe wednesday thursday and uh, our good friend, obviously, Gavin, he he answers, He answers. likes to answer these questions. Yeah. He always gives us a little bit of information, so shout out to Gavin. So Our good friend, Gavin, asked this. He says, uh, what was the uh, average day like uh, for a fur trader during this time? So, Gavin, question. Uh, that is a good question. Um, I did a little bit of research on this, uh, and I had a little bit of prior knowledge, so I'm going to tell you just what I know. I am no expert on the Fur trader (laughs) by a long shot, you know what I'm saying. But I am going to give you the best that I have. Okay, so basically, we know that fur trading was a hard business. Okay, it's it's really it's been romanticized, Dylan. You can probably see this a lot. There's been lots of
1: uh, like TV shows, like like the uh, the frontier, exactly. So you've got all these. I watched that show and it was awesome. Pretty good show. Was it true? Probably not. Probably (laughs) not. But (laughs) well, you got all these. Like
0: I said, like you said, shows. There's books, novel. You know, all these things about the era. And these guys have kind of been romanticized as being mountain men who, you know, took off into the wilderness and they they fight bears, you know, barehanded, you know, and they are just out there. They left civilization to make a greater impact, you know, that kind of thing. Now, however, uh, if you you strip that away, you know, you're kind of left with a lot of hardship, kind of, sort of, uh, if you want to say. So a day in their life was quite hard. Uh, Trappers were often overworked. Uh, underpaid and subject, obviously, to the wilds of an unsettled North America.
1: I'm sure it was terrible. <laughs> I cannot. <imagine. laughs> I'm sure it was genuinely terrible.
0: <laughs> right. So, uh, these men, basically, I'm just kind of go through a day very quickly. These men will wake up. Uh, maybe they would go foraging. Of course, North America is is known. Uh, we have abundance of, of of plants that bear have berries. You know, so so there's yeah, like- abundance in the forest of of foods like that. Not just berries, but all kinds of things. Just like
1: fruit bearing plants. Exactly. A so, lot of wildlife, especially at that time. I mean, exactly.
0: And so he could have, you know, done that, uh, you know, foraging off for some berries. He probably would have been eating, uh, most definitely been eating the meat from the game that he's trapping, you know, to to get these skins from. Mm-hmm. So he's not gonna let the meat go to waste, right? So he's he's eating this meat to survive on, right? And uh he's basically just doing that, right? So he'll go around and he'll check his traps. So at this time, they would sit up. You know, like a snare trap uh, for those of you who don't know what that is. They would have some kind of counterweight setup system where it was like a trigger. And as the animal would step on it, a snare would kind of close around the animal uh, and trap them. Right. Yeah. And so ba- basically you try that. It would, it, w- it would get them around the throat basically uh, not very humane uh, by today's standards, but that's all they did. You know, at the time is, you know, they, they weren't walking around necessarily hunting these animals, shooting animals. I'm sure they did, but their main, they didn't want to damage the hide.
1: Especially, yeah, that. And then since, uh, I'm sure there are other pelts going around, but I mean, I think, you know, beaver was king. That w- It was. Uh, and they're a whole lot easier, to, I thought, like, to trap than mm-hmm. to sit there and wait on one to come up out of the water. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And so they're, tra- they're going around, you know, they're checking their traps. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're possibly meeting up with whoever they're trading with. Now there can be a multitude of people they're trading with, most obviously Native Americans. Yeah. So you've got those, uh, may- maybe the Dutch and uh even the french you know who were in french canada you know at this time and so you've got all these people and basically uh they go to bed and do it all all over again the next day
1: <laughs> so this is their existence yeah they, they, they collect pelts and then carry them to the nearest mm-hmm. trading post or ford or exactly. wherever it was
0: they were to go exactly and you got to think they're, they're trekking miles and miles and they're carrying all this on their back right they may have you know, like a cart, maybe maybe a, a a pool shed. You know that they're that they're that they're pulling along behind them, whatever. You know, I read
1: something that those uh one time that those when they would like take the pelts and the furs and uh-huh. like bale them together uh-huh. in a bundle uh-huh. that they could weigh up to hundred pounds. Yeah, each bundle. Each you know, and bundle, and they they and they'd maybe have three, multiple. Yeah. yeah,
0: and so of course they were very uh, resilient. They could, you know, they 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 did a lot of bushcraft <clears> things <throat> that we would call bushcraft now. You know, maybe making a cart. You know, they could pull, like I said, like a sled, you know, pull around and, and this, that and the other, because they probably didn't have a horse. They may have, you know, it's, it's,
1: yeah, probably not. depends on
0: where you're at in the country. And there's a lot of terrains not suitable for horses where these yeah. guys are going. Right. So anyway, uh, this is, you know, kind of a backbreaking way to make a living, uh, in my opinion. And it's, it's, it's known, I didn't know this, but apparently it's, it's widely known that the vast majority of of people who became trappers failed to accrue uh, any or much profit at all. Yeah. And so now those who actually got in there and actually knew what they were doing, you know, it's of course took time to learn or maybe were, were trained by yeah. another trapper. It's very
1: uh, like lucrative. Exactly. Business, yeah. Once you say.
0: got in there and up with a company like, uh, what's the company that me and you were talking about?
1: Uh, before Hudson we got Bay? on air.
0: Yeah, the Hudson Bay Company. If you're maybe those are one of your partners, you know, they're getting <clears> you a good <throat> price for these pelts, you know, yeah. stuff like that. If you don't know anything about the Hudson Bay Company, we, you, we could do a whole episode on that by itself. I feel like so yeah. go do some research on that yourself. That's a very interesting topic. But anyway, it w- it was hard to make a living on this and break even, break even, or make a profit. Which they obviously you want to make. Yeah, a that's profit.
1: how most people. I think that was a pretty accurate mm-hmm. experience that most people have. Exactly.
0: So, Gavin, thanks for that question. That's that's really all I can say about that. Like I said, I'm no expert on the everyday life of a trapper. There's more or maybe less that went into that. But anyway, uh, to each his own. There, right. So, uh, Dylan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the fur trade, like in general, like what the the general knowledge about it?
1: Uh, Well, the fur trade in whole, there's really no. It's kind of of those things. There's really no like exact, defined like start and end date, you know, because it's happened at different places at different times. Right. uh, In general, everything I've read says you know the fur trade pretty much started sometime maybe in the mid to late 1500s. Okay. because Europeans and mostly French uh, would come over across the Atlantic Ocean, would fish off the coast of, uh, you know, like Canada, Nova Scotia, like up in sure. Hudson Bay region. Mm-hmm. And they'd fish up there uh, because there was a lack of resources over on their side of the pond from overfishing and things. Sure. So they're like, okay, let's just go over here, and we'll load up on fish and bring them back. And just that's what they were doing over and over again. Right. And uh, when they would do that, of course, they would – You know, come in, they'd make little camps on land, you know, row out back and forth the boats every day or whatever. As they made these camps on land, uh, of course, over time, they did make contact with some of the natives in the area. You know, over time, just that's kind of natural. And it was just kind of one of those things. Really, the whole fur trade is one of those things. It just kind of slowly evolved. Yeah. Like accidentally, almost in Mm -hmm. a ways, how it seems. uh, Because they would interact with the natives. And that's kind of where it first started is they started trading goods back and forth. And then okay. you know, eventually the Native Americans started trading furs for things that these fishermen had. And they would take the furs and presumably you know use them or take them back uh, okay. to France or wherever it was they came from.
0: Yeah, I hear that beaver skin hats were very popular Yeah, back in Europe. that right? was like the whole
1: <laughs> driving force behind the fur trade eventually. Right? right. So a lot of these fishermen ended up realizing that... Trading was way more profitable than fishing. Right. <laughs> so instead of going over to fish and then come back home, they would just come over, trade, load their boats up with stuff, and then come back home and sell it. You know, it's kind of the same thing. It's just right. more right. valuable goods moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, that starts happening a lot. And then you get the attention of uh, the crown. And obviously, they're oh, like, definitely. hey, you know, I want to stay in on that. Yeah, yeah. I want a piece of that <laughs> money. So, France was really the first uh, country to have, like, a business, so to speak, in in the fur trade in North America. Uh, They kind of had, you know, was their first, kind of had dibs, if you want to call it that. Sure. And then the British eventually got involved, and you mentioned the Dutch, they got involved as well. And even Russia uh, was involved in what is now Alaska. Okay. Because, of course, that used to... Be owned by Russia. It wasn't, exactly. you know, exactly. So they even had their own little thing going up on Alaska, which I don't think is very touched on much in like history yeah, classes and stuff. Not. I don't know that much about it, to be honest. But, I didn't know about that at all. Uh, so time evolves, time passes, and it just turns into this system of exchange where you had a lot of uh, trappers, European, I think largely French trappers, were when you know we go into the interior and, and trap and hunt, but you also had a lot of natives. They also relied heavily on the natives. Uh, as the supply of furs. Okay. So a lot of the, them, they would have the furs that, you know, trapped animals. Mm-hmm. Had the furs and trade with these people. And then in return, you know, they would get European goods and things like that. Sure. So for the longest time, there really wasn't as much direct interaction between the Europeans and natives as you would think. Until okay. kind of later on, like okay. directly, you know. <laughs> uh, Like I said, it's really kind of, it created kind of like a really... I guess, complex situation.
0: Sure. So you've got these guys coming in. So previous to this, obviously the native Americans have been existing for a long, long yeah. time. And they've
1: even been but, trading furs and goods amongst themselves for thousands of years. Right, you know? Exactly.
0: So these guys have really, they've been self-reliant on their own for all this time. Uh, literally thousands of years. You know, we talked about that back in episode one, I believe all the different eras, you know, yeah. of native American, in North America, at least. And, uh, now you've got these Europeans coming in who are trading with them, and all of a sudden you get this, like you said, a change in dynamic
1: yeah. happening. Uh, there's a, and we're going to talk about that too in depth in a little bit, but it, just, right. there's like a, it changes the power dynamic of like everything. Exactly. It just kind of throws everything on its head. That's you very know. interesting to me. Yeah, uh, definitely. And it's pretty cool to like think about, you know, learn about or whatever. Most definitely. But yeah, I mean, and then the fur trade goes on. Uh, same thing with the end. I mean, it's kind of hearsay on the dates. People say this or that. But I've seen several sources that kind of say 1870s. 1850s, 1870s as like the official end of the fur trade. Okay. Uh, Of course, I personally have never really thought about it going on that long. You know, you seem like that wasn't that long ago. Because
0: 1870, that's right after the Civil War. Yeah. 1850, I mean, that's right before. before, But in the early 1800s,
1: uh, the fur trade, of course, it was already in like largely based in you know Canada like that part of North America right. but there's also a lot of fur trading happened like in the Midwest even down in the Southeast like in the Mississippi River Valley right. but with the oh, go ahead I'm sorry I was just going to say I feel like obviously
0: you know you, like you said you got the trading out west going on but I feel like as uh America came into its own formed its own country I feel like correct me if I'm wrong but probably the influence obviously of the British and probably the Dutch and maybe the French a little bit kind of was weakened a little bit because you know they're no longer trading,
1: yeah. They kind of had their the fires down in this area going like on up in you know Canada or French exactly. Canada, or whatever. But that you know, they started to kind of lose their grasp, exactly. especially into the 1800s, of course.
0: Yeah, because America uh, becoming like a world power at that time, yeah, at like that coming point. into its own and really just uh, ruling the world, kind of yeah. <laughs> so cool.
1: And uh, but yeah, that's kind of a general overview. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's just like, like I said,
0: with anything, I think we, we, you said this before with anything that we talk about, there's no definite. This is the day that this started and this is the day that it ended. That's yeah. like, that's impossible. It's just
1: kind of, yeah, it's because kind I'm of sure there, there's say. probably
0: still people. I know for a fact, there's still mountain men, quote unquote, there's TV shows about them. They're still up there trapping animals yeah, and trading furs, you know, but it's not like, not in this sense, obviously, but yeah. you know, so it still is kind of happening, but not, in a large scale sense yeah. like this. We, we don't rely on furs every day like we once did, <laughs> you know. But anyway, that's pretty cool to me.
1: So, uh, like I said, that's kind of the general overview. I guess we right. can talk about some of the more like the specific impacts and stuff. Yeah. And- so
0: you were saying that we were trading, of course, not we, the French the, uh, traders were trading with all these people. And I would know, mentioned the Native Americans. You mentioned a little bit about that. And so you mentioned the power dynamic switching up. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what's, what's going on?
1: Well, uh, the way I like to think about it is like, when you have the Europeans come in and they start trading furs at first, it's, you know, it's all fine and dandy there. Okay. Yeah. They're getting their goods and, uh, each side is getting their own, you know, quote unquote profit off of the exchange. Sure. That's all fine and dandy. But it's once again, it's one of those things that slowly evolved over time. And it's one of those things you don't notice. Until you're, like, looking kind of back. You know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. So you're, it's all said and done. You're like, man, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, we, we really got played. You know, <laughs> right. that's kind of, I th- in my mind, kind of how it happened. But, mm-hmm. like I so said, in the beginning, it didn't have very much effect on the Native Americans, okay. really. They were really strict on what aspects of, like, European culture they allowed uh, into, their, into their lives. Okay. So, like, you know, they wouldn't trade in – it's not like they started fur trade, and then all of a sudden they were speaking, you know, proper British and whatever <laughs> right, it may be, you know. Right, Uh So it stayed the same for the most part up until the mid-1600s or so. Uh, and by then, it was really common for Native Americans to start ex- – they accepted a lot more European goods. Okay. Uh, but they, it's, they still kind of limited it. So it was like most of the things they traded for were just improvements on the technology they already had. Okay. How So, so like – uh think of like metal tools and oh, okay. maybe even guns and things like that. Yeah. Uh, opposed things to for, stone tools and, you know, right. things. so basically
0: just things for better survival, be, be, that are better suited to survival. I guess. Yeah. It, more it was really
1: limited to a lot of that and not so much as like vanity items, I guess, yeah. or like, uh, you know, leisurely items, you know, more utilitarian right. things, uh, that would have helped them actually live. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as this happened, as they, the more they traded, it was kind of like a double edged sword. Cause okay. like the more they traded, the more they became dependent on Europeans. And oh. then you start to see, you know, where things really start to get go wrong. Okay. Uh, because a lot of times the Europeans, you know, thought they were real slick and would basically, and we see it, people, it happens to people today. Uh, the Europeans would basically try to keep them in a constant state of debt. Oh, they kind of had okay, that power yeah. over them, mm-hmm. and as long as they were in debt, they had more power over them. Right. Uh, so you really start to see them like take advantage of the native people across North America, uh, and as they were trading, this also, in a way, the fur trade can be looked at as having some positives and some a lot of negatives in my mind, anyways. Yeah. And there's some things that can be looked at as positive but the way I see it is it's still even the positives like I said are a double-edged sword they're still mm-hmm. it's like oh this thing is good but it also does this that's even worse right. kind yeah so as they're trading uh you start seeing these middlemen quote unquote pop up okay. and that was a term used for uh, natives who kind of served as the liaison between like the the tribes and the Europeans for a lot in a lot of places oh, not necessarily okay. everywhere so the Europeans, I mean uh, the middlemen. It was very interesting because this is where you see people they can rise up as middlemen, and the middlemen were very wealthy, very powerful because they, in a way, controlled all the trade. Right. In a way, because both sides depended on them. Right. You know, they were kind of the middle, the middleman between it all. Right. Uh, and they moved all the goods. And like I said, they, they became over the years very wealthy and, and very powerful. Gotcha. And that's, I guess these, these yeah. guys were
0: probably also translators, right? They spoke both languages, I'm sure. I would
1: assume. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And this is where uh, the quote-unquote shifting power dynamic really comes into play. Okay. Because this all took place in at the tail end of the Mississippian period, which is what we talked about. One of the things we talked about in episode one. Sure. Things to remember with the Mississippian period is before European contact, Mm. this was a time all across the continent where you had these large chiefdoms rise up. Uh, It was the first time you really see people living in ranked societies in North America. Okay. So there's, you know, there's inequality. There's there's social classes, essentially, Mm. is a way to think of it. And throughout this whole time, all the power and the wealth lied within, you know, one or maybe a handful of people. You know, usually your chief. And maybe if he had some form of uh, a group of people, you know, that he consulted that with or right. something like that. Or some sort of priest or very... Like how, maybe elders Yeah, elders, yeah. that kind of thing. See, when all this happens and you start seeing these middlemen rise up, it just flips all that on its head. Because now anyone can become wealthy and powerful.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it's very, you know, it's just kind of interesting to kind of see that. Right. Uh, So, like I said, just kind of flipped everything on its head.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it was kind of cool to these all these people now have opportunities to become these wealthy, powerful men. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it left, but they were a minority. It left the majority of the natives still overworked, constantly in debt, being abused. You know, Uh, and and trapping and processing these furs took a whole lot of required a lot of labor. Okay, and that also led to. they began to use the women as a workforce, basically, oh, okay. basically slave labor. Essentially, sure. I mean, to be honest, yeah, uh, as well as other natives, and that kind of, you know, created even a deeper divide between most people in this, you know, kind of wealthy, powerful right. minority uh, that you, you know, and it just, like I said, kind of shifted the power dynamic. Sure, uh, and that's what's really crazy about it. But another pretty negative effect is. You know, when you think of Europeans coming over to the New World, you think one thing you think of is disease, definitely, uh, because you have them bringing their European diseases. They may not be actually sick, but they carry these things. You know, because they've lived the, and grown up with these, right? The natives with exposure, have, yeah, and the natives have never been. They I do have no exposure, right, exactly. So really, for a while, disease didn't spread that terribly. Like I said, there wasn't as much direct contact between the two groups, other than. Some of your uh, trappers, European trappers, that would go into the interior and things Mm -hmm. like that. But over time, as they uh, started building like trading posts and forts and things like that, you start seeing the two groups interacting personally a lot more. And this is kind of towards the mid to late 1700s, okay, give or take. You start seeing a lot of that happen. So things like smallpox, uh, you know, went rampant. And due yeah. to all the trade, another "quote unquote" disease, if that's what you would like to call it, uh, that that ran rampant was alcoholism, really, because that was a big trade good was uh, was rum. Oh, okay. And it was like a gift, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. the Europeans would give it, you know, gifts to the tribes to try to initiate kind of a trade right. business relationship, and that was often a big gifted right. item.
0: And it's interesting to me. Uh, of course, I don't I don't know much about this to, to speak heavily on it, but. I know I've, I've, ha- I've had contact with a lot of teachers. You know, I just graduated to be an educator. A lot of teachers who have worked in uh, uh, places where a lot of Native Americans reside. Yeah. You know, and alcoholism is still like a big thing in a lot of these places. They're yeah. are still like, I don't, I don't know if that, you can necessarily say that bleeds off from this time period. You know, I don't but, know.
1: I don't know if, uh, I haven't researched that myself. I don't know right. if that's. It's just interesting to me. Some generational thing. I know people use that as a stereotype. A lot, you know, I've heard that before, sure? uh, but it is actually a problem. And I, like I said, I have not researched it to know what it is that causes that. Right. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not too sure, but I've, I have thought about that before. Right. And uh, so, like I said, the construction of these forts and everything kind of led to increased contact and led to dis- spread of diseases. Okay. Uh, like I said, trading things like the rum and everything, it, Created a problem of alcoholism that swept a lot, a lot through a lot of these communities. And in fact, I even read one journal article that said that uh, there were some Europeans and some transactions that were known. Uh, if they were to sit down and sign essentially like a contract or a treaty with the natives, they would bring rum and essentially get them all drunk before they would oh. negotiate their business. And that was another way they kind of exerted power, power over them. Rum. As well as like keeping them in debt and sure you know things like that right, uh, I got you. So like I said, it was just a really crazy time, and had a lot of negative side effects and almost too many to name. But sure, it uh, it was a really crazy time to to be here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: So that's like a lot of impacts on the Native Americans. Are there any more that kind of stand out?
1: Yeah, I've got a few more uh, that we can talk about. I mean, there's tons and tons of them. Sure. You know, but out of the ones that I'd kind of jotted down and made sure to remind myself of. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also impacted their clothing, at least to some extent. And with their clothing, it was kind of the same thing as the rest of their trade. You know, they didn't really, they just traded for things that kind of improved what they already had. So uh, one article I read made mention that they didn't like, never really traded for European style pants. Really? You know, because they felt that it, they never wore anything like that, and so they mm-hmm. felt that it inhibited movement and was just yeah, very. I can see that, I can see. I guess if you never wore a pair of pants, yeah. maybe <laughs> it may seem a little weird. You know, yeah, definitely. Uh, they mostly traded for things like hats or bells and beads. Sure, you know more kind of uh superficial items, not really pieces of clothing per se, more right. decorative. Exactly, kinds of things. Uh, But there was one example that I made note of just because I thought it was kind of cool. There's a group of people called the Huron. Okay. And uh, at this time, they were kind of known or there were several reports that mentioned that they would often trade for like military style jackets. Interesting. uh, Okay. And would, you know, take those and paint them or maybe Mm -hmm. embroider them with like moose hair or porcupine quills. Very nice. And that kind of thing. There's actually, I'm sure you could find paintings or pictures of. Oh, Sure people wearing those i know so, i've seen a picture of uh chief tecumseh wearing like well, a i think i've seen that military style right. like red jacket you know with the shoulder scales and sure. all back down so it's if, really cool. uh, for those of
0: you who don't know the the main issue coat at this time of the so what time period are we in currently in the late 1800s is that where we're at mid 1800s
1: uh, I mean, for this specifically, it, this was kind of one of those things I feel like that just kind of happened over time. Over time, they, sure.
0: You know, no real specific right. time. Well, broadly, if you want to say the for a long time, the U.S. issue garment was a was a jacket that was uh, blue color. It was it was dyed with indigo, and so I bet they were really drawn to that color. I don't know if there's anything. I don't know if they how broadly indigo was sourced <laughs> in North America. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if they had. Uh, any access that pigment but but they thought that was cool you know it had brass buttons on it you know so that was yeah i'm sure that was that stood out to, to them and of course there were different coats issued at different times but the, broadly there was a time in american history where we were issued these blue uh coats made out of wool you know so they're, they're, they're pretty interesting
1: yeah in like people. i don't know what time period that specific example is from but you right. know just things like that over the whole course of this entire right you know few hundred years of interaction right and really, I guess the last thing that i'll I'll touch on uh, would just be how it really brought on a lot of conflict and skirmishes and okay and battle and things like that, because really, when you boil it all down, what you had was mainly the French and the British competing for a monopoly over the fur trade business, sure, uh, exploiting and using the Native Americans to try and make that happen essentially You're right. So like I said earlier, the French were really the first ones to set foot or to have a stake in the fur trade business. Mm -hmm. But over time, the British showed up. And at the end of it, I mean, most of the time, they just offer better prices for their pelts. The British did. Yes. Gotcha. So you see a lot of natives uh, and trappers and things, obviously doing their business with the British because they're getting more money. Yeah. and it's things like this, like that specific example, essentially led to the French and Indian War. Uh, oh,
0: okay. And
1: like I said, you have,
0: for those of you who don't know, the French and Indian War wasn't the French versus the Native Americans. It was <laughs> i have teaching, you know, I've had a uh, history class, you know, that I did student teaching yeah. in, and they thought that meant that the French and the Indians were fighting each other when it was the French and the Indians that were on the same side fighting yeah. against, you know. So it's it's it's, it's yeah. Kind of a strange name for that war. But anyway, I just wanted to touch on that.
1: And this is kind of also plays into that uh, power dynamic thing we touched on earlier. Because it just leaves like North America. So like it leaves all these little fragmented like factions that are siding with this person, that person. And, you know, uh, because you have some some groups that side with the French, which means they're automatically enemies of the British and anyone who sides with them. You know, so there's, uh, you know, accounts of. Where you know, say this group of people comes over here and destroys this tribe or this village, and then this other group of people comes and destroys the one that just destroyed them. You know, what I mean, it's just like <laughs> right. It's like over. It's yeah. just a constant, and it, you know, really like just upturn the whole like socio like political landscape of
0: of the Native American of land.
1: the entire like continent. Right. It was really. I don't know. It's just really crazy. And so from out.
0: this point on, you're seeing a lot more. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess you're seeing a lot more. Uh, Conflict within the Native American tribes themselves is, is that is that what the argument here is? Or? I mean, I don't
1: really know. I don't really know like to what scale. Uh, sure. I know there's a lot of conflict in general, like I said, right? Uh, like eventually tribe tribe. leading into the war, but I don't know how much of it. And I think some of it might have been kind of regionally too. Sure. Uh, a lot of that, I would assume. Uh, I don't want to give any false information because I haven't fully researched that specific sure. aspect. But I feel like most of that's probably ha- took place up north. Yeah. More towards, because, you know, that area was really the hub of the fur trade. Exactly. Even though it happened all over the place. Exactly. Uh, so that's probably where I would assume tensions were probably mm-hmm. the hottest.
0: At this point on, really throughout the rest of American history, up to a certain point, you see uh, w- uh, the, the white man continually taking more land from them. And, oh, yeah. And being, For sure. Of course, you know, we talked about before how the white the white people usually called them savages, the Native Americans, I mean. And so like yeah. you had this whole dynamic of like these are bad people, you know, these are savages, we must convert them to Christianity and like, you know, bring them back east and civilize them, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So it's it's you see this essentially destroy their way of life. Exactly. Which they pretty much there's a lot of
1: tribes who are And there's a whole really a lot of things out. that have happened to that history that have you know, that was their purpose was to do that. Right. And we could to have a whole episode about that, you right, know, different exactly. types of, think of reservations and uh, schools and stuff that, you know, it's just right. a whole big issue. But yeah, really a lot of it started in the fur trade, you know, it's just, it started out as a good thing, you know, just two sides just benefiting right. off each other, kind of a mutual relationship. And it just took a turn for the worse. For the and that might have been their intentions all along, who knows, right. you know, but exactly uh, they saw an opportunity to kind of exert their authority over. Who They saw as a weaker or lesser people, right? And you better believe they did it, they did know? it
0: for sure. That's and very, it uh,
1: just continually get worse,
0: yeah. Well, it's definitely a very interesting topic for a trade,
1: yeah. It's a big topic, too. I mean,
0: definitely, we barely scratched the surface. There's like so that. much you can talk about, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I kind of
1: feel like that, too. You know, there's just so much you could potentially talk about right. with this. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh,
0: we hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and I appreciate you listening at home or in the car or wherever you may be. And if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Uh, make sure to spread the word about, hopefully, your favorite history podcast. And remember, you can find us on Instagram at just another history podcast with underscores between each word. Uh, right there, we're going to post polls, questions, updates, and information on future episodes.
1: And make sure to join us next week at the same time and at the same place. Our topic for next week's episode will be released on our Instagram page soon. That's all for now. We'll catch you all later and see you on the next episode of Just Another History Podcast.
0: And until next time, remember, dive deeper, learn more, and share your love of history. Bye-bye for now.